Welcome to the Monash Musculoskeletal Research Unit podcast for another week, the podcast where we discuss and translate the latest musculoskeletal research to help you keep up to date and improve patient outcomes. My name's Luke Perriton from Monash Uni Physio, and on this episode, I'm joined by Scott Morrison. So Scott's a board-certified orthopedic physical therapist and certified strength coach, and he consults out of Black Diamond Physical Therapy in Portland, Oregon and runs the website physiopraxis.co, which is full of lots of useful information about low-cost methods for assessing muscular strength in a rehab environment. And he's got a library of rehab exercises and also information about his course on the website, which we'll talk about as well. It's a course aimed at helping rehab professionals and clinicians provide realistic exercise prescription. And Scott's also highly active on social media, where I met him and we had some discussions. And came up with the idea to have a chat today. And um, Scott discusses the assessment of strength and strength and conditioning principles and rehab principles um, at length online. So without further ado, Scott, thanks for joining me and welcome to the MMRU podcast. Thanks for having me on, Luke. Uh, one quick point of clarification. So that bio is uh, a pre-COVID bio. Currently, I'm back in high performance working within uh, special operations. Um, so no longer Black Diamond is uh, now uh, no longer a entity. Yes. I've gone a pre-COVID bio. Uh, that was my first question. Did I miss <laughs> anything in the introduction? We were saying in the chat before I pressed the record button that um, you and I have been sort of talking online. And then we had an idea to have a Zoom. We finally found a time to have a Zoom. And I thought, why, why don't we record this? Because I'm sure you're going to say some really interesting stuff that I'm going to want to share with other people. So why not do it on the podcast? So um, did I miss anything else in my introduction? Perhaps um, give the listeners a little I, summary I of you. Yeah, that's, that's about everything relevant besides the fact that I fly fish a lot and uh, drink whiskey and own a lot of books. I think that's... <laughs> That means in a nutshell. That sounds good. So what does a typical week look like for you? So you've got a strength and conditioning background plus physical therapist or physiotherapy background. Um, so what do you Correct. do in your role? Yeah, so currently part of a high performance team working within a um, special operations or tactical community. Um, my role is uh, more from a physical therapist perspective, sports medicine, rehabilitation. We work alongside um, a, a fairly large team of uh, strength coaches, athletic trainers, um, uh, dietitian, cognitive, psychological, and a few others. So it's a good collaborative group that we all are sort of working to improve the individual and bringing our own skill set and hopefully having, you know, that T-shaped expertise they talk about where you're an expert in your area and uh, knowledgeable enough across domains to have crosstalk and be able to collaborate pretty well. Sounds like that's a whole new episode right there. And talking about special ops and or whatever we are allowed to talk about, but that's um, perhaps an episode for another day. I'm really interested in your special interest area or one of your special interest areas, which is measuring strength and particularly not just measuring strength when you've got all the equipment and all the money, but measuring strength in a rehab context for clinicians who are pot potentially time poor and, and don't have all the equipment at their disposal. So well, you know, we know strength is really important for performance and in sport and for life in general. And we know it's associated with joint function after injury and surgery, but, um, you know, it's also associated with return to sport and quality of life. So many things in the research, 
But from your practice and your experience, why is strength important? Well, I think it comes down to Newton's laws of motion, right? We're, we're subject to the same laws that anything else is. And so if you're an object, you know, of some mass, uh, under and going through momentum change, um, you, you have to exert right uh, interaction of, uh, the two masses and creating force. That's, that's how we change things. That's, it's just basic foundational physics. So that strength is the colloquial term that we use for the ability to, you know, create movement or ch uh, change of right energy, uh, either add or taken away. Um, so that's fundamentally why it's important is because we move. I think that's, you know, and we, we have mass. So, um, if we dial down a little bit more, it's because most of our movements will have some threshold necessary to accomplish it. And then it's, it's not just a lot of times we focus, you know, peak force or, and this is where you start going in the weeds a little bit about the definition of strength. Cause when someone says, why is strength important? Well, it depends on context, right? So strength, if you have someone standing up out of a chair, our peak forces don't necessarily need to be as high as if somebody tripped and has to catch themselves. Same mess. What's changed? Well, the time frame that we have to uh, exert that impulse. So strength, we can look at, all right, maybe a better idea of this is impulse, which we can think of more generally as the force over time, right? How much force, how much total force we've invested into this movement occurring. And so strength becomes very important in that component because a lot of times we can't control time. And as time becomes scarcer, whether it's a performance-based thing where we have to move in a short amount of time or just life activities like the trip that I mentioned earlier, uh, strength becomes the thing that we can probably bring to the table when we lose the ability to do otherwise. So I guess that would be a more general idea of it's important as long as we intend to move. Um, I think that's probably a key. Can't control time, but you can control strength and thinking about the context yeah. of strength and in what context that you need strength. And that's probably a really good starting point. It's actually really nice to wind it back and go back to principles when we're having these discussions rather than reading papers or trying to measure strength yourself and trying to go pick a winner straight away, thinking about what is it right. you're tr actually trying to measure. So well, let's go there then. So clinicians are often time poor and a lot of their time often goes towards making a diagnosis you know, communicating with patients and other professionals and then managing impairments and um, and perhaps functional limitations in the early stage of after an injury. And that's all really important. And then lots of clinicians will then acknowledge the importance of assessing strength properly and then providing a good exercise program and using outcome measures to support their exercise prescription. But then there's a bit of a gap there sometimes when they lack the time or the skills or the equipment or the know-how to measure strength in a rehab setting right. properly. So you've been working really hard to, to help clinicians with that. So what are some of the resources you've developed that clinicians can look at and use and, and, and measure strength in their practice with? Yeah, I don't, I, I would say that there's a lot of resources out there that I've had nothing to do with uh, that are very valuable as well. So it's, I guess for me, it, it fundamentally comes down to understanding the question that you're asking. And sometimes it's okay to, just say, we don't know the person's strength. And if, if you understand that you don't know, you approach the world very differently than when you believe that you know, but you're wrong. And so that's why, you know, if you're going to measure 
uh, these uh, strength, you know, to use uh, the, that term. Uh, most of what we're looking at is typically, you know, an isolated measure of force or torque uh, since we're measuring the, uh, the force around that joint. But strength then, like we have to understand, I guess, to understand the resources, you have to understand what question you're asking, right? And what we're what we're actually doing is we are seeing when we remove as many confounders as possible, what are the upper limits that this individual is able to produce torque around whatever joint we've we've decided we care about? And so I think that's that's step one is understanding what it doesn't tell us. So we don't then think that the thing that we got, the number that we got is now this, you know, magical uh, eight ball that's going to tell us where to go from there. Um, so one of the key things that I, I've done is try and give a little bit more just checklist type things or the importance of a process. So when you're when you're doing when you're setting things up, understanding fixation of the individual fixation of the device coaching and cueing being the same, making that as reproducible as possible. Because a lot of times what we do is we set up and we think that we're measuring somebody's knee extension torque. And what we're actually measuring is how much force it takes to push us over or lift them up off of the bench, right? Mm -hmm. Or the amount of force it takes to reproduce symptoms either in their knee or with whatever fixation device we've used that creates some pain at the, the site of location. Mm -hmm. So being careful that we actually know what we're measuring. Just because you stepped on the scale doesn't mean you know how much you weigh. You might be wearing a, back, a backpack. Oh. Somebody might have stuck their foot on the backside. So just because we have a number doesn't tell us something. So that's kind of resource one is just a lot of videos. Um, and I mostly put them up either on the website or uh, Instagram for just kind of different ideas of how to set things up and look at it, um, being thoughtful about uh, these things. The second one is I was mentioning torque. So most of what we deal with is rotational force, right? Because we have muscles pulling to create joint movements. And so that moment is really what we care about or what we're measuring. And if we can standardize to that, then limb length and those other things, we can let them wash out. And it gives us a little bit better estimate when we're looking to benchmark to uh, body mass or anything like that. So um, I put together just a it's a pretty basic uh, app uh, that's actually available as an app now too. Uh, you can also go onto the website and it's there and it just, you input the information as for, and it'll calculate the torque. One of the keys here though is um, torque is equal to force times moment arm, right? But it's also equal to the sine of theta. So you need to make sure that you are measuring at a 90 degree angle. If you're not, if your line of application is not 90 degrees, then you don't get to ignore it. We only get to ignore it when it equals one and it only equals one when it's 90 degrees. So that's, that's the other biggest thing that I'll see all the time is people will say, Hey, what do you think of this setup? Looks awesome. Did a good job queuing and coaching, but you have about a 45 degree uh, angle line of pull. So mm -hmm. unless you want to sit down there and calculate all that out, you can measure the angle sign of whatever that angle is and it'll work out. Or you can just make your life easier and measure it at that 90 degree angle. So those are two of the things. And then I've worked with um, a couple different companies. I don't get any money from this. It's just more to try and create something that's usable. So uh, in the U.S., um, I, I assume they'll the ship overseas. I know a few people have bought it in the UK, at least. Um, JLW modifies the Mark 10 as a dynamometer. 
to allow you to do a push and pull setup with it. It's still the cheapest option I know of that hits those limits with the quality of components that's out there. There are more and more things thankfully coming out there, but it's going to come in significantly cheaper than your MicroFET or your uh, Lafayette or some of the other more standard uh, JTEC or some of those. Um, but then in the last few years, and actually one of the people who came to one of my courses pointed this one out to me is the Tindeq, the T-I-N-D-E-Q, which is an inline only, but for about 150 US dollars. And uh, if you type in the code physio, you get a disc, I think it's like 10% or $10 off. Again, I, I get nothing from this. I just said, hey, W- w- there's a lot of people will be buying this. Is there any sort of discount? It's like, yeah, just type physio in. It'll give you a little. So it usually covers the cost of shipping. Um, uh, and he's over in one of the Scandinavian countries, I believe, but shipping from there to here in the U S is usually just a couple days. So I, I would say those probably, you know, the education around understanding the question that you're asking and, um, being cautious with overinterpretation of data. It's easy to believe that because I now have a dynamometer, uh, I think we were talking earlier, you, you know, you, you buy the device and then you're looking inside the package for the little bottle of uh, validity and reliability that traveled along with it. And that's not how it works. So urging caution, know what you're trying to measure, measure that well, but then also understand what that measurement means in relation to the things that you care about. So education around that videos and, uh, um, trying to just make access to these things a little bit easier and cheaper for the clinicians to do in a time efficient manner, like you mentioned. Mm. If you're running out of time or you don't have a lot of time, it makes sense to have a very uh, well organized testing routine. And then that's got to yep. be based around those principles. It's music to my ears to hear you talking about these fundamental principles of assessing strength and biomechanics. And these are what we talk to our first year physio students about, and hopefully they'll come full circle in their careers when they start figuring out their (laughs) ways of doing things well in their clinics. And they go back to their first year training and say, oh, I I might need to be 90 degrees to the lever I'm pushing in. So we don't, you know, so hundred percent of my force is going into resisting the, you know, the patient, for example. And look, no conflicts of interest for me or the group as well with any of the equipment you're talking about. I'm just genuinely interested in getting products or ideas for how to do things out to people. So, and I'll put all of those in the show notes so people can look them up, um, the JLW and the Tindec. Uh, But regardless of the equipment you're using, it's really about the question you're asking and the process that you, you know, the rigor of how you set up your, your testing routine. So, um, then we've got measures of strength and potentially a rate of force development from some devices. Uh, how can they be useful to guide rehab as outcome measures? Yeah, so that's that's really the ultimate. Like we all want to look at it and make predictions about will my patient get injured again? And I think that's a fascinating area of study that hopefully the next few decades will let us be much closer to understanding. But Uh, The way I think it's the most valuable, honestly, is as a feedback loop um, within section. So you're looking at this more as a responsive device to cue you in. You're not predicting whether or not something bad will happen. You're using the device to make a prediction about the things that you already did doing what you wanted them to do. So if you've decided that your patient needs to be stronger, right? That's that's step one. There's plenty of patients where strength might not be the main goal. And in that case, great. But if you've decided strength matters, 
and you're utilizing an intervention and then you test that and there's no change, that's the, that's the most beneficial part right here is it not that it keeps you honest, although it does, but what it does is it gives you the opportunity to find out that you're wrong, which lets you go back and be right, right? There's nothing worse than the whole thing about, uh, you know, being wrong feels just like being right. It's finding out that you're wrong. That's a problem. It's only when we get that feedback and the feedback, the reason why all these things about the fundamental matter is because we want our feedback to be as closely aligned with reality as possible. Right, so I think just your classic test theory, you've got the observed score, which is equal to the true score, plus some amount of error. And that's why we're trying to make that error as small, but also as stable as possible, so that the observed score is representative of the true score that we care about. And also we get to see over time if things are changing in the direction we care about. This is why a lot of these things actually matter. Like you know, I've had all sorts of different ways that people have come up with assessing rate of force development, like looking at what the number is using a stopwatch. And it's just, you can't, you cannot, the rates are too high. And just from basic signal processing theory, like you need a certain level of um, sampling rate in order to get these things about rate of force development. So I think we're getting closer and closer to where that will be something valuable in the clinic. But right now, peak force is still like, we're not getting that right. We, you look at the body of literature and repeatedly over and over again, we're getting anywhere from 13 to 30% of people who have been cleared for return, who don't hit these foundational, like you were saying earlier, these are the fundamentals. These are the basics. You, the better you get at the basics, the less you have to do the fancy stuff, right? It's mm. that's just really what comes down. And so that's where I see that is the biggest benefit of measuring in the clinic. One, you get to see, did you get to where the other side is? So symmetry is seems to be valuable, not because necessarily we are saying that they're going to, it may have some predictive aspects, but more so you accomplish your goal which was restoring symmetry. And so that's where all of these things come together. I view it more as a way for you to fine tune what you're doing in your process in the clinic than I do for it to be a one-off type thing where you just, oh, let's pop you into here and do your test. All right, first time, last time you pass your test, you're good to go. Uh, that's rarely how I use it. I'm using it on a serial process throughout the entire course of rehab in order to guide what I'm doing to help me make sure that this, I don't know, all we're doing is making best guesses. And that feedback is what pulls us back to center. Hold, that's really helpful. So for people who want to follow up and perhaps in, improve or change or add to what they're doing, that you've got lots of videos on physiopraxis.co. That's the website. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. on Instagram, you mentioned. So, so for specific setups and those principles of measuring strength in a rigorous and repeatable way, and, you know, but always going back to those, those questions of what you're doing it for and why you're doing it and how you can yes. use it to inform you know, as an outcome measure to inform the results of the progress of any strengthening exercise. So uh, that was a really, really nice yeah. summary for people. This, we could go on all day, but we won't. Um, <laughs> we've got to leave something for next time. If we can get you back on again. There you um, go. It's an introduction. Sounds good. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Are you still running your course? So your sloptimal loading course that used to yes so um, I, I I do yes it's currently now an online hybrid so I do 
a live slash pre-recorded. So the, the lectures that do well pre-recorded, you get to watch those first. And then um, I used to do a two day, but that's a lot of time to sit on Zoom. So now I've pushed more of the lecture uh, to where you watch that first. And then we do a one day uh, in-person thing where we really get into a lot of question and answer and stuff like that. So mm. um, and the I also, I, I, sorry. Oh yeah. The, the aim is to really just dig into um, critical thinking around exercise prescription. And I think that was the fundamental thing for this and why it kind of happened was I was getting more and more people asking. So it started off with just going in and doing private work with uh, different sports teams where they were looking for, Hey, we, you know, we need to start doing this stuff. And then it developed out into the course it is, but the most of clinical thinking was either about prognosis or uh, manual therapy. Like if you looked around, there's not a lot of thoughtful applied clinical thinking reason, uh, clinical reasoning uh, applied to exercise prescription. And so that's really kind of where this came from. Mm, that's really the gap that you're filling there. So well, this is trying to, mm, that that's a really, really good chat about strength principles, testing, um, why we're measuring strength, what strength is. Um, where can people read more? <clears throat> excuse me. Where can people read more about you online? And um, we've already mentioned the website, um, physiopraxis.co. Um, you can find you at on Instagram. What was your handle again? And on uh, it's physio underscore praxis. And then, um, and that is more clinician focus, education focus. Uh, I use Twitter more for actual engagement and discussion uh, stuff. And so that's at S-C-O-T-M-O-R-R-S-N. Um, pretty much everything that I've published is available on ResearchGate uh, under my name as well. So um, you can see that if you're an American, uh, or I believe you can be a member uh, anywhere just of the sports um, academy. So the American uh, Sports Academy, I am the chair of the sports performance special interest group, and we do a ton of work there as well. So there's also a lot of recordings and podcasts and information on that as well. So that's probably the main places. There are plenty of opportunities for people to connect with you via social media or via your formal roles. So, and that's a good yeah. introduction to our audience from you. And a lot of people will probably know you already and have really enjoyed the discussion. So listeners, um, thanks for listening. Um, help us get this episode out to other people who may be really interested in it, but may not find it by sharing it online and subscribing and following and doing all the things we always ask you to do. And if you have any questions for Scott, um, I, I won't talk for him. I'm sure he'd be happy to answer a question on Twitter. He's very active there. Um, and he's just given you a few avenues that you could contact him. I'm sure both of us would really like to, to continue the conversation with you online. If you want to tag in the MMRU podcast on Twitter, it, we're at MonashMRU, and make sure we tag in Scott as well and answer any of your questions. But until next time, thanks very much, Scott, for coming on to the podcast for a chat, and I'm hoping to do it again at some stage in the future. Would love to be on. Thanks for having me. 